0: I'd like to think with you tonight from Philippians chapter 2 just three verses. Yesterday day or not yesterday, I should say last Sunday morning, I preached from Luke chapter 1 and then spoke from the first part of Philippians chapter 2. And tonight, as I spoke from Luke chapter 1 this morning, tonight I want to speak from these three verses in Philippians chapter 2. If you were here this morning, They spoke about God doing greatness through humility in the life of Mary and how she exalted Him. And tonight I want to talk to you about the greatness of this child that she would bear. Philippians chapter 2 beginning at verse 9, hear the word of God. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. I know how easy at Christmas time it is to be nostalgic. I certainly am. When we pull the ornaments out of the boxes and hang them on the tree, there's one particular green fuzzy ornament. It's about lime green that reminds me of the time when I was at home. No one ever liked those ornaments, but when I left home, my mother asked if I wanted one, and I don't even like the ornament, but at least it gives me a sense of nostalgia about when I was young. It's nice to have those memories, and those memories are good as far as they go, and certainly we remember collectively the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ, then that is good as far as it goes because, of course, Jesus really did come and he was really born of Mary. But if those memories of the past do not translate into our understanding of the present and the future, it's simply nostalgia. It doesn't have a great impact upon our lives. Tonight I want to talk from Philippians chapter 2, about the ongoing and the forever significance of this baby born in Bethlehem. Because you'll notice in Philippians chapter 2, the writer moves from He was born of a woman, born under the law too. He has been given a name that is above every name. The writer moves from the coming of Jesus into the world to the present and eternal significance of this Savior. And that's what I'd like to do. Just explain two things for you from Philippians chapter 2, these three verses. First, what Jesus is doing now. And then second, what Jesus will be doing for eternity. As Jesus is now, you can find in verse 9, if you look back, if you have your Bibles, the writer says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. There are two things it says in that verse that are true about Jesus now. First, that Jesus is exalted. Actually, our version doesn't quite do exalted the justice it deserves, you might think of what it says here, is God has superly, duperly high raised Jesus above everything else. There is no comparison to Jesus. There is nothing more exalted, no one who is greater than this Jesus who is described in Philippians chapter 2, and we've been singing about in so many great songs here tonight. Romans 8 verse 34 says, That Jesus is now seated at the place of highest honor in heaven at this very moment at God's right hand. This is the place that he occupied before he entered into our world as the baby in Bethlehem. Except with one important difference. Hear this. When Jesus returned to heaven after being on this earth, he returned with our bodies, our flesh, the Bible says. He was ascended in our bodies so that our flesh, our bodies, our humanity is already in heaven itself. You can take that, my friends, as a signal of what is coming, most certainly for those who believe in him. One day, our flesh, our bodies, you and me, as certainly as you can pinch yourself and you can feel the pinch on your hand, so certainly will you, you And you, all those who believe in Jesus, who will be brought into heaven itself to be with our God. What an amazing truth. And the presence of our Savior before our God in eternity guarantees that his present reality guarantees our future. John 14 verse 3 says, And I will go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. These are the words of Jesus. Whereas, as Saint Job said many years before, he said, After my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Jesus has been exalted, He is at the highest place of honor that exists in the universe. When you are seated at the head of your table as you celebrate Christmas and you feel very honored, you might look around and see your family, maybe friends at your table. You feel like the world is great. It is nothing compared to the right hand of God himself. Jesus is highly exalted. Our flesh is there in the presence of God Almighty. The second thing that is true of our Savior right now, The Bible says in verse 9 that he has been given a name. Not only has he been exalted, but he has been given a name. You can see that there in verse 9. It is a name that is above every name, Paul says. What does that mean? Well, you might ask the question, well, what name is that? The answer is probably given in the verses that follow where it says his name is Jesus. And you remember that when the angel went to Mary and Matthew... He said to her, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. When he is given a name above every name, it means in that name is found the truth that we need and leads to his exaltation. The truth that we need is that the one who came was not just another baby born in Bethlehem, but this Savior who was born is in fact our Savior. He came to save humanity. He came to die in our place. And what this verse is saying is that name, Jesus' name, is calling for a universal recognition of Jesus as the Savior. That name which is above every name is a recognition of the one who can give to you what no one else can. It is an affirmation that Jesus is the one alone who saves. And God intends to broadcast that to everyone, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter where you've started, that truth is the same. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the name that is above every name. And from that exalted position with the name of our Savior, the Bible says Jesus is active. He completed the work for your salvation while he was on earth. But he did not go to heaven and then sit down and simply sit there and do nothing. In the book of Hebrews chapter 7 verses 24 and 25, the writer compares the greatness of Jesus' continuing work in heaven for us With the work that the priests did in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. The Old Testament priests were men who went into the temple to make intercession. And the writer says, but Jesus is your intercessor before God himself right now. And because he continues forever in that position, he is an unchangeable priesthood. And the writer says, and listen to this, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost... Those who come to God through Him, since He always lives, to make intercession for them. In Romans 8, verses 34 and 35, Paul says, Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and therefore is also risen. Hear this, and even now is at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And the rhetorical answer he gives is nothing. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of our intercessing Savior in eternity. The one who hears us and takes us before the very presence of God Almighty. And he presents us perfectly clear. And our God, the God of the universe, hears the prayers of his people as though he were listening to Jesus himself. You, my friend, are in his hands. He is watching over you because he appears before God Almighty on your behalf. Here's the good news for you tonight. Jesus is presently exalted with a name that is above every name interceding for you in eternity. You are not in this world on your own. You may feel as though no one listens to you. As though your voice is never heard. Maybe it's because you're young. Maybe it's because you're old. Maybe it's because the people that you believe ought to hear you do not. You may look around at the world you live in and see all kinds of reasons why things are not right. But here's the good news about our Savior Jesus, the child born in Bethlehem. This is the news. Jesus is highly exalted. He is the name above every name. And that is the Savior who is in eternity interceding for His people. That is what Jesus is doing now. And then verses 10 and 11 say, not only is Jesus doing something now, but Jesus will also be doing something in the future for eternity. Yes, verse 9 is true. It is as true as you sitting in these chairs tonight. But maybe you look around yourself, you maybe even look in your own heart, and you ask the question, if Jesus is in fact on the throne of eternity, why do I see all kinds of things in this world and in my own heart that are not right? Why is there dissonance between that reality in eternity and my experience in this world? If you're not feeling that dissonance tonight, I want to want to really point your attention, really shine a spotlight on the dissonance that ought to exist. And I could do that a whole variety of ways. Maybe it's just naming the sins that I struggle with or naming the sins that are common to humans. But instead of doing that, I want to shine the light of how things are not right by documenting even though we are sitting here openly and freely there are many places in the world where that is not true did you know for example that there are more christians who have been martyred in this century than in any other time previously you might expect under the horror of nero and other early Roman emperors, that many Christians lost their lives. You've heard the stories of them being burned or eaten by wild animals. That's certainly true. Let me say it again because I didn't say it very clearly. Do you know that in the 20th century, more Christians have been martyred than the previous 19 centuries combined? Perhaps you listen to that and say, where is the ruling hand of our Savior? Let me go even a bit further for you. Let me give you an example. In 1915, alarmed by the growing number of Armenian, not Armenian, Armenian Christians, the Turkish government determined that they needed to be eliminated. In fact, on April 24th of 1915, the Turkish government summoned hundreds of Armenian leaders, most of them Christians, to Istanbul, and in a very public way, with no shame, murdered them. Officials then emptied the leaderless villages of women, children, the elderly, the men who remained, and sent this horde of people on death marches across the Syrian deserts. The Turkish authorities bayoneted them, Buried some alive, burned others, crushed some, dehydrated them, drowned them, raped many, stoned some, shot others, starved them, and otherwise tormented victims in what contemporary accounts call, and this is an impressive title, the most bloody genocide in modern history. Here's a question I want to ask you tonight. Did you even know about the Armenians until I mentioned them? If you had not, you're not alone. More than 20 years later, in 1939, a man stood before German troops who were ready to invade Poland. And when Hitler spoke to generals who were objecting to the, to the proposed massacre that was likely to happen as they invaded Poland, he asked this question, who after all even speaks today of the annihilation of the Armenians. Armenians, so quickly were they forgotten. In such circumstances, whether it's the memory of Christians who have died before us, Or the various things that go wrong in our world that we can see today? Does it look like Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, that the the ascended Lord, the one who is highly exalted among every other, whose name is above every name, does it look like he's sitting on that throne? Does it appear as though that is true? In stories like the Armenians could be multiplied all over. Think of Christians tonight in China, in North Korea, in Sudan, and in many other places in the world. They are being murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ, being isolated. They have their jobs taken away. They lose their money. They may even be dying as we're sitting tonight on these chairs. Maybe you say to me, Pastor, what a downer. I came here for Christmas The next thing you know, we're talking about people dying in far off parts of the country or the world or in times past. Why in the world this seems so contrary to the nature of our Christmas celebration? It's because I have to ask you this question. Is the baby born in Bethlehem simply nostalgia for you? Is it a wonderful thing to think about like that green Christmas ornament, the fuzzy green, lime green that we haul out and we celebrate because it makes us feel good? Or is Jesus Christ actually on the throne of heaven? Is the baby born in Bethlehem who is given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins? Is Jesus actually saving his people? Is he ruling from heaven? Well, I don't want to leave you there, of course. I've got to tell you what verses 10 and 11 say. They explain for us this apparent disparity. The experience that we have in this world with the news in verse 9 that Jesus is highly exalted with a name above every name. In verses 10 and 11, we read, here's the news you need to hear, that Jesus' birth, death, and ascension mean at the name of Jesus there is coming a day. This is Jesus in the future when every knee will bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and every tongue will confess, it says, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the truth the apostle says about the ascended Jesus. Notice the purpose of Jesus' ascension was that every knee would bow and every tongue confess. Jesus' ascension, this tiny baby born in Bethlehem, ascended now to the place of greatest power in eternity, means that one day every person who has ever been, ever is, ever will be, including each and every one of you, will have no choice but to say, I bend the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't matter if you were Hitler, Stalin, a dictator, ruler, the most powerful person who existed in your world, no matter how big or small that world is. I can tell you tonight with no qualification, you will one day bend the knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. I feel like I need to say that again, just in case somebody missed it. Maybe you were thinking about what your son or daughter was asking you. And I want to be crystal clear that you heard that. Every single one of us will bow the knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. I find no reason to qualify that in the Scripture. And the implication of that truth is that there is coming a day when there will be no threat of a knock on a door, there will be no oppression from moral depravity, there will be no abuse, there will be no threatening, there will be no sin. There won't even be the struggle in your own heart against what is wrong. There will only be Jesus. Even though it appears for a time Jesus is losing the battle in China and North Korea and maybe in your own neighborhood and certainly at times in your own heart, it may feel like he is losing the battle. The good news for you tonight on this Christmas celebration evening is that Jesus, although there are times when it appears as though he loses the battle, here's the good news, Jesus does not lose the war. This world belongs to Him, and every single square inch of this world will one day scream, Jesus Christ is Lord. He has ascended, and He is coming again. The Bible says for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord and immediately after the apostle goes on to say now knowing that truth hear this comfort each other with these words The truth about Jesus is designed to comfort us now. What does that mean in our fight against sin, against wrong, wherever it is found? Does it mean that we're turning to a beaten Savior stuck in a grave, meaningless now? Absolutely not. Jesus rose. We are turning to a ruling Savior. We're turning to a Savior who in places, even now in our experience, we can see the power of this Jesus But those glimpses, those shadows, those places where we see it now, one day all the gaps in between will be taken away. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those of heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. That is who we worship. And that is who we came tonight to sing to. Which leaves me with one more thing I have to say to you about this Jesus in the future. At that end, when the world bows its knee in submission to our ascended Lord, and they recognize who He is, when we will all say with our tongue, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, I want you to note something very, very clearly Confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord is not the same thing as calling upon Jesus as your Savior. Matthew 25 makes it very clear in that day when Jesus returns, there's a fundamental divide between what is called there the sheep and the goats. What is meant? The sheep are those who call upon the Lord alone who is as their Lord, their Savior. The goats look at him and say, who are you? We now see that you are Lord, but you're not ours. We don't belong to you. What is meant here in this passage by these confessing tongues... Is not necessarily a confession of faith, but a confession of recognition, even on the part of some, a grudging recognition. There have always been people who have claimed that God does not exist, that Jesus is nothing more than a figment of our collective, overactive imagination. Nietzsche, who I noted this morning, for example, began the 20th century by writing or proclaiming boldly, God is dead and we killed him. God is not dead. And he's coming back. If I can be a little tongue-in-cheek, Nietzsche now knows better. And all of us will someday. Until that day we wait patiently and you're called in a moment like this with all the nostalgia that fills our hearts for Christmas and its celebration to not miss the reality of who Jesus is and who he will be someday. Do not lose the call of the gospel, this call to faith in the middle of your nostalgia. But oh my friends, take comfort in the future reality that Jesus is coming back and live as those who serve the ascended baby Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this truth in Philippians chapter 2. We rejoice to know that that truth is given to us as certainly as Paul penned it to the Philippians. Your Spirit is able to work that truth in the hearts of each person who is here and each person who is listening. And we rejoice to know that. That your Spirit is able to divide each heart, even if those around us can't see who we are and know what we struggle with. Father, You do, and You have perfectly fashioned the gospel of Jesus Christ to address each need that we might have, each rebellion that exists, each impact of sin that we feel. The gospel is so perfectly designed to heal our wounds, to call us to repentance, and to give us hope for eternity. And so we rejoice tonight with these beautiful songs. We sing them with our mouths, but we long for their truth with our hearts. That Jesus Christ, the one who is highly exalted, the name that is above every name, would be recognized by us tonight and given the praise that he deserved. Father, thank you for this time. We rejoice in his precious name. Amen.